especially true, this notion that we have to react against authority, it is especially true when it comes to the authority of God's This is All Things New with Pastor Barry E. Fields. Matthew 21, verse 23. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? They discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. And as they answered Jesus, we do not know. He said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Father, this morning, may you make it true in our hearts as you will one day make it true in all the known world, the entire universe. Let us know that you are king. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I've always been fascinated by one description that people use about Jesus after he teaches. And the phrase is very unique to me, so much so that I've started using it when I see a task done well, or when I see somebody who has unusual ability in teaching or declaring, or somebody who just knows how to get something done. And the phrase is this. Matter of fact, I've used it not just on other people. I've also used it when going through the drive-thru. My friend Mark Ayers is a great speaker. God has gifted him in many ways. But I tell you what, when he goes through the drive-thru with me, he gets incredibly intimidated. I mean, it's just like, it's just like the order doesn't, doesn't come out. And so if I order a quarter pounder with fries at McDonald's, I'm just as likely to get a quarter pounder of fries because of the way it's ordered. Some of you say, well, you'd get that anyway as much as they give you. I don't know. You can order a a lot of different things, but every once in a while, he'll get out of that intimidation, he'll get that order just right, and I will declare to him, I will say, you executed that order as one having authority and not as the scribes. There's There's a scriptural statement about that that says, this is something that's different. This is something that's done well. Say that to your spouse the next time they rebuke you. You did that as one having authority, not as the scribe. See how it goes, coming from the single guy. Take that advice, don't do it. Jesus is often described in this same manner when he teaches. They say that he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. In other words, derived from Jesus, this authority, this ekousia, this moral source of what it means to have power, to have the ability to tell someone what to do and for them to be commanded to obey as the King of Kings and as the Lord of Lords. But the Bible tells us that it is not only his teaching that has authority, he also has authority over nature. There's a story recorded where Jesus is asleep in the boat. The disciples think they are going to lose their lives because of the winds and the seas that have come about. And Jesus says, what are you scared about? He gets up and he says a few words, peace be still. And the disciples respond and they say, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? See, what we don't understand about 
Jesus. It's in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus was there just as much as God the Father. He was there just as much as the Spirit of God moving upon the face of the waters. And therefore, the universe, the known world, is basically his sandbox. It's Plato in his hand. He can form and fashion a star and animals and people in any way that he wants to do so because he has authority over nature. And so people ask, well, in Scripture, you have to get outside of natural causes. Yeah, because the very God we believe in is supernatural. So he's been given authority over nature, but he's also been given authority over disease. There is the woman recorded of faith in the New Testament who says, if I can just get close to Jesus, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. And Jesus turns to her and says, take halt, daughter. Thy faith has made thee whole. He's been given authority over sin. At one point, a man who can't walk, Jesus says to him, thy sins be forgiven thee, and the man is able to move. And they said, who are you to declare sin without also giving him the ability to move? And Jesus says, what difference is it you to say whether thy sins be forgiven thee or take up thy bed and walk? And he tells him, take up thy bed, walk. He does it. Jesus can forgive sin because he has authority over sin. He has authority over nature. He has authority over disease. He has authority over sin, but then he also has authority even over death. They take him to the daughter who has apparently died, and Jesus looks at everyone in the room and says, she is not dead, she is sleeping. And the scripture says they laugh him to scorn. Jesus has the last laugh when he tells her to arise, and she walks. He tells Lazarus to come forth, and he comes out. There is an authority in Jesus that has never been seen before in this world, and will never be seen again until he returns. All power and all authority has been given unto me, Jesus says, as he is ascended. But throughout the gospel narratives, even as these crowds are coming to hear him, there's this tension in the background. Something is off behind the scenes because while he has compassion for the crowds, even as those crowds are coming near to him, his chief priests and rulers and scribes are rejecting him. They do not like what he has to say, and Jesus is rebuking him. He will declare his message to the Jews, those who he was called to come to, and they don't hear him. They seek him not. But then the Gentiles, even a centurion comes and says, I know that you will heal, and Jesus says to him, greater faith I have not seen in all of Israel. So there's a tension there. We know that God has created the world to live in harmony. If you hear voices blending together in harmony, if you see machines functioning together properly, if you see a team coordinating together in sports, but there's something off here. It's almost like the wheels are out of alignment. Somebody doesn't know what comes next because behind the scenes, these Pharisees, these chief priests, these ones who know the law, who know what authority is about, are getting ready to undermine and plot to kill the very one who is the embodiment of authority. And now they begin to challenge and question his authority openly as we enter into Holy Week. On that previous day, Jesus had cleansed the temple. Do you not know that my house shall be called a house of prayer? Because the people were selling items in the place of the court of the Gentiles, which was the designated place for the Gentiles to pray. And Jesus grabbed a whip and ran them out. 
You can imagine from the Pharisees' perspective, that wasn't a popular thing to do. Here's this guy from Nazareth, from a stick town, driving out their business, healing people, teaching in the temple. And so now they ask, by what authority are you declaring these things? And it's the beginning of this kind of inner gospel debate where the Pharisees will do their best to try to set a rhetorical trap for Jesus. Jesus will see the trap coming, he will avoid the trap, and then he will turn around and he will spring that trap back on. On them. In debate parlance, that's called a turn, where you go from playing defense to playing offense. And so he responds, let me ask you a question. Was John's baptism from heaven or not? They say, we can't say. And neither will Jesus say to them where his authority is derived. Because they won't receive it, Jesus doesn't tell them. And before they know it, they end up rejecting the very authority of the one they supposedly worshipped. I wonder sometimes if we miss out on the message of God, the reason God doesn't speak to us is because we don't have hearts and ears to receive it. So he doesn't tell us. And the reason is because we live in an age that absolutely despises authority. Hear your own reaction when someone uses the word authority. Has about as connotation as a good a connotation as a sermon, doesn't it? Ours is an age of anti-authority. In fact, we have a culture that rebels against the very notion of authority and a society that is constantly saying, don't tell me what to do. We had a 60s generation that told us not to trust authority, don't trust anyone up to a, a certain age, and then that 60s generation grew up and became that certain age, and so rather than telling us not to trust that authority, they said, you are the authority. And now everybody is their own boss. Everybody is able to do what is right in their own eyes. Even when I use a phrase like authority figures, some of you are going to react positively and negatively to each of these terms, depending on your stage of life or your upbringing. What happens when I say parent, boss, spouse, don't do that in here, teachers, pastors, government leaders, oh, let's try this, politicians. And that is especially true, this notion that we have to react against authority. It is especially true when it comes to the authority of God's Word and His authority in our lives. And it really comes down to who you believe has ownership. It's that inner rage that wells up inside when someone issues a command. I was with a fairly well-respected leader in the region this past week, showing me around some different places I won't say well where, and at the end of it, he said, you know, I can be okay if someone asks me to do something, but he says, man, if someone tells me to do something, I just want to rail up and just spite against them. What is that inside that makes us want to rebel against authority? What is it that makes us want to prove that we're not under authority, that no one owns this? And the Pharisees don't obey Jesus Precisely because they don't believe that he owns them. On whose authority do you declare these things? 
Sometimes we talk about authorial intent. That is, an author who wrote the book has the authority. We believe that Jesus was the Word in the beginning. He is the Word right now, and therefore is the one who wrote the book. He has the authority. Who gives you this authority? Let's phrase this another way. What gives you the right to say to me those things? And the question from the Pharisees isn't necessarily wrong. In fact, Jesus will declare they sit at the seat of Moses. It's their responsibility to make sure that authority isn't abused. We all know that authority can be abused. True authority from God is not to impose error. It's not to do harm. And Romans 13:1 tells us that authority is actually given from God at all levels. He makes kings and queens rise up, and he makes them fall back down regardless of whether or not they know him. He is the one working behind the scenes, all things according to his purposes. And we don't want to get to a situation in Judges where the Bible says there was no ruler in Israel, and Therefore, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And so you live your truth, and I'll live my truth, and we'll somehow try to get along. It's lawlessness. The Pharisees aren't wrong to question Jesus. In a sense, they're just doing their jobs. They're making sure that he is who he says he is until Jesus turns the table and he exposes their true motive when he asks about John the Baptist. And here's the deal. They're in a bind here. A lot of people loved the ministry of John. They know that he was beheaded by Herod, but they also saw him do great things. And so if they say John the Baptist's ministry is not of God, then they've got the people to deal with. But on the other hand, if they say that the ministry of John the Baptist was of God, then they've got Jesus to deal with because John spent his whole ministry saying, Behold the Lamb of God, whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. Hear him. John baptized Jesus. It's a pretty good endorsement. And so they are in a bind because they can't go either direction. But Jesus points out something to them that their true motive isn't truth it's accusation. Because if they believed that John was from God, they should have said so, and they should have adhered to the Old Testament laws and who he pointed to in Jesus. And if they believed that he wasn't from God, they should have said so and not feared the people, but called out heresy for what it really was if they wanted to truly honor God. But they want to do neither of these things. It, that question is just an excuse for them to keep on living exactly how they want. They're okay with Jesus as long as he doesn't question the way that they live and how they rule. That's where we are. They have no problem questioning Jesus until Jesus questions them. Why John? Because he's been predicted by the prophets. He's declared the way of the Lord. And Jesus will put them on the spot here. They're putting him on the spot for authority. He puts them on the spot for worship. He will tell them in declaring John as from God or declaring him as not from God, either you confess me or you deny me. And the Pharisees on the stage of the greatest courtroom trial in their lives plead the fifth. They say we cannot say. Jesus says, neither can I tell you either. Because the ultimate problem for them is not their question. Their ultimate problem is hardness of heart. It's unbelief. And unbelief will always lead you to contempt. It'll always lead you to jealousy. It'll lead you to envy and strife. And if you follow it to its logical end, it'll lead 
to murder from Tuesday to Friday. That's how long it lasts. Somebody said unbelief will always attack the person and work of God. Jesus will tell the people about these religious leaders, these people who were supposed to have it together. He will say to them, listen to what they say, but don't you do what they do because their words are right and yet their hearts are wrong. And here's the situation with the Pharisees. It isn't this kind of innocent ignorance where they really don't know. It's rather the ignorance of a, of a child or an adult who will say, why did you do this thing? And they simply respond, I don't know. It's not that the Pharisees don't know. It's that they don't care. And when you don't care before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, you would be in a better position if you did not know. And because of their hardness of heart, Jesus does not respond. Someone said unbelief isn't ultimately the cause of sin. Instead, sin is the cause of unbelief. They're so caught up in their sin. They're so caught up in what they believe to be right that they miss the very man of God. So why doesn't Jesus tell them? I think the reason is actually fairly simple. He doesn't answer them because they're not interested in an answer. They don't want the truth. They say they want to know God. They say they want to hear from God. But when God stands right in front of them, they don't hear it. And their hypocrisy is exposed because they won't commit to Christ. My heart goes out to people who hedge on Jesus. Or worse, they'll use someone else as an excuse not to believe in Jesus. And so they'll say, well, all of these hypocrites are here in church, therefore I don't go in church. I heard that before. What they don't realize is they may very well be the biggest hypocrites of all because they haven't acted on the claims of Jesus. Either worship me or deny me, but you can't be neutral on me. We understand that in the world in which we live, the problems that we face, the greatest struggle in our life is not going to come from the outside. It's going to come from the inside. It's that fight every day submit to Jesus with our heart, with our mind, with our mouth, with our hands, with our very body to say that if Jesus has authority over me, then he has the right to tell me what to do. And here's the thing, how you submit to authority is in direct proportion to how God will one day judge you. That when we don't submit to authorities in our lives and to God and to his church, we reveal a Pharisee in our hearts. Here's the thing. Everyone is living under someone's authority. The world says whatever you think is right is right, so do it. Take a Nike slogan and go with it. Well, if you may very well be living under the, the worst authority of all, and that is the, the tyranny of self. You think making your own decisions apart from anyone else, apart from the voice of the Lord, apart from God's people is the way to go. And you don't realize the most enslaving place in the world is not a prison cell. It's not an ancient notion of slavery. It's the slavery within the human heart. And if you are just dedicated on making the decisions for yourself, to yourself, by yourself, you are going to be destroyed one day. And you're going to be miserable. Instead, what Jesus calls us to is this submission that comes in recognizing authority. By whose authority do you do these things? People live however they want to live, even within the church. 
So we'll call out gay marriage, but we won't talk about our kids living outside of God's plan of marriage. We do that a lot. Oh, we'll talk about people who don't work enough in the church, and we're glad to gossip about them and thereby expose sin in our own hearts and our own lives. You know what your biggest problem is? You know what my biggest problem is? Other people sin differently than we do. And we think our sin is somehow less against God. See, the Pharisees here, they think, that, they think they're obeying God, but they can't obey the one he sent. They're far from God. They're disobedient. And when you fail to submit to the authority of God's word, you miss out on the greatest blessing you can ever receive. Treasure of Christ. It, it, it angers me here, but it, it's, it's also heartbreaking to a certain extent because Jesus calls to them. They don't come. He plays for them, and they don't sing. He motions to them, and they don't dance. Can I just say this? Until we as a church come to a spirit of repentance, where we say, God, you are the only one who claims authority over me. You are the one to whom I submit. Until we cry out in desperation for God, I fear that we will miss out on the very blessings that God has for us. You'll miss out on your family. You'll miss out on your own. So what do we do? How do we respond? The only way we know to respond, and that is to submit to the authority of Jesus, to do exactly what Jesus did not do. And listen, when we submit to the authority of Jesus, we will also submit to one another. That's why we're called together as a church. Listen, brothers and sisters in Christ ought to be able to call one another out in truth and in love. So many people are sensitive when you call them out in sin, and what they don't realize is you may very well be preserving their eternal state. The most hateful thing we can possibly do to someone we see in sin is leave them there. Just tell them it's okay. One of the most difficult words in the Bible. Here it is. Submission. You know my favorite word to use in premarital counseling? It's not my favorite. I just like to see people's reaction. Submit. You tell wives to submit to their husbands, as to the Lord, and then you tell husbands to give up their lives as God Christ did for the church and gave himself for her. But do you know the Bible uses that form of, of submission? It actually changes it a little bit to be subject to one another. And it says that I am accountable to you. It also says that you are accountable to me. So in a sense, we're each other's bosses in the Christian life. Because God's called us together to live under the authority of Christ. Being willing to submit to authority even when you disagree. Think about how our culture often reacts to this. You know, it used to be in the old days, if you got in trouble at school, what happened at home? You get in trouble at home too? Now, if you get in trouble at school, the teacher and the principal gets an earful from the parent because surely my kid couldn't do anything wrong. Surely my kid has the world figured out. Man, your kid is the greatest thing since Jesus walked the earth. It's awesome. And when we raise our kids to not submit to authority, when we raise our kids not to play by the rules, we're preparing them for hell. We look to the example of Jesus who had power, who gave it up, who cast it aside because he considered humility and obedience to his Father as greater than anything 
that power could offer. Tom Patterson told a story on our mission trip to Brazil. I keep on talking about Tom. I need to get him out of my mind. But he told an interesting story. He talked about, you know, our, our tendency to react to when people accuse us of something. And he, he said he was in a Walmart not too long ago, and somebody came up to him. And I guess he must have looked like he was working there. You ever had that happen where you're just the person who everybody thinks works at the store? That may be a good sign, by the way. Maybe you look like you have a good work ethic or you look like you're helpful. Somebody asked him, can you help me pick out a paint? color in the paint section. There's nobody there. So he goes over there, you know, they're thinking he's one of the employees and he begins to look for it and then the employee comes out and starts helping the person and the person looks at him and, and said, I thought that you worked here. Why, why are you helping me? He said, because I want to help you. I want to be Christ to you. I just ask, when, when somebody tells you something you don't want to do, or somebody commands you something that you don't like and you get offended, what exactly are you trying to prove? Are you trying to tell the world that no one owns you? If someone does own you, he died for you so that you might live for him. We too are people under authority. And here's the truth. The ones who are, the world often says, you know, you don't need to be a follower, you need to be a leader. Well, the best leaders are also the best followers. The ones who know how to lead also knows how to follow. The best leader this world has ever seen was also the best follower who said, I came not to do my own will, but the will of my Father if in heaven. Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I look to the example that Jesus gave of that centurion, who when he asked him to come and heal, the centurion said, no, you can just say the word. He said, I too am a man under authority. I say come and they come. I say go and they go. He says, you just say the word and I know he'll be healed as I go. And Jesus says, greater faith I have not seen in all of Israel. And so here's the question. Does Jesus have authority in your life? Are you submitting to him? Are you submitting to his church? Because if he doesn't and if you don't, you're not really a whole lot different than the chief priest and the elders. These guys have the greatest privilege in all the world, and yet they miss it. Can we say the same? See, rather than rejoicing, they're found complaining. That's our default. Maybe instead of lamenting what God's not doing, we ought to praise him for what he is doing. Say, Lord, even if this doesn't look like what I thought it would look like, you are king and you are Lord, and I will come to you, and whatever you throw my way, I will take you at his word. And I will believe you for who you are. And when they ask me whose authority I am under, I will say, I serve the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He came to this earth. He died a horrific death. He rose to a tremendous life, and he's told me that he's coming again one day. And until I go to be with him, until he calls me home, I will live for him. I will try to take Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the broadcast. If you found it helpful, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. For more information, check us out online at barryefields.com.